Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. We are in the 12th chapter of Revelation, verses 1 through 6. Allow me to just go ahead and read this passage. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of the heaven and threw them down to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he would, might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is, to be, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there, would, there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, we've already opened up the seventh seal last week, and we uh, uh, share with you all that between the opening of the uh, seventh, I'm sorry, we had the seventh trumpet to sound last week, and I share with you, uh, even in chapter 11, that we will not see the actual events that come out of the seventh uh, trumpet being blown until chapter 16. So we got chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 before we get to what we know as, uh, as the bold judgments. So, so what takes place between the blowing of the seventh trumpet is a lot of visions, a lot of things that John is seeing. Notice again that John is seeing these visions in heaven. God is called caught him up into heaven, and he's given him these visions from the heavenly perspective. So we look and we see that, uh, as I've shared many times, Revelation is not chronological. In these six verses, we're covering just about all of history. From, from ancient times to the end of time. So bear with me as we kind of jump around history. But we look and we see that uh, Jesus is going to come for his final reign. We know that that's the biggest message that we get from Revelation. He will come, not as Savior, but he will come as judge and ruler. And we look and we see that uh, time periods overlap all through this. But in this vision that John receives, actually he's seeing three different visions, but in this vision he's seeing three different figures, a woman, a red dragon, and a child. And we're going to need to compare other scriptures to what we're reading here so we can better understand who these characters represent. So one thing we need to fully understand, Revelation primarily deals with the Jews, not the Christians, because if you believe like I do, the church is no longer here. It's been raptured up. And so those who are remaining are either non-believers, which includes the Jews, but, you know, Gentiles or the Jews. Now, 
we don't, let me put it this way, I don't fully understand why God has this personal relationship with the Jewish people. But he's always called them his chosen people, and he chose them. He chose Abraham when he was not even a God believer and caused him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and travel around and led him to what we now know as the promised land. And we see that Abraham becomes the father of the Jewish nations. And from that time forward, there has always been this intimate connection between God and the Jewish people. But let's look at verses 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor, in the pain of giving birth. Who is this woman? Well, it's going to be pretty obvious that the child is Jesus, so who gives birth to Jesus? Yeah, that's not who this is. That's our, that is our common first impression that this must be Mary because she's the only one that was with child and gave birth to Jesus. But again, Revelation is more symbolic in imagery than it is factual, uh, factual terms. And so we need to look at other passages of scriptures to see this description that John gives us of this woman and see if we find it anywhere else in scripture. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Well, let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis 37, I'll just go ahead and read verses 9 through 11. Dealing with Joseph, before he went, uh, uh, became the second in charge of all of uh, Egypt, he's having a vision or a dream. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars are bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Notice he says, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Okay, his father's name is Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Okay, this is Jacob, I mean, this is Jacob or Israel, his wife Rachel, and their twelve sons. Okay. The, the sun and the moon would be Jacob and Rachel. The 11, I mean, the, the 12 stars would be the 11 stars here, including Joseph. So basically, the 12 tribes of Israel. So this woman does not represent Mary, it represents Israel. Because God says, Out of you will come this Messiah. Out of you will come my son. Out of you will come. And so Israel is this woman clothed with the sun representing Jacob, Israel, and the moon representing Rachel, and the twelve stars representing the eleven brothers and Joseph. And so we look at this and we say, okay, so not everything is as it first appears in the book of Revelation. So 
all this took place uh, before Joseph became second in command of all of Egypt. And matter of fact, it was these types of dreams that Joseph told his brothers about that made his brothers jealous of him and caused them to, first of all, want to kill him and then to sell him off as a slave. And he ends up in Potiphar's house and then he ends up in the prison of the king and then he ends up uh, interpreting the king's dreams and then ends up as being second in control of all of Egypt. So we look at this and again, it is God working his plan from the very beginning all the way back from Genesis uh, making this pact from Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, who's now called Israel, through his 12 sons, to the tribes of Israel. And so we look at this and we see that the genealogy of Jesus throughout the scriptures has a Jewish heritage. You trace him through Matthew and through Luke, and you go trace him back to, to King David, who is the Jewish king, all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And so now Jesus is coming again. And during the tribulation, God has sealed 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel so that they will have a place in the final judgment. They will be protected and saved. And so now we're looking at the identity of this woman as being the nation of Israel. Now, you would think that God would finally turn his back on Israel because they've rejected him so many times. Matter of fact, Israel is often referred to as a woman, but not always in a good term. When Israel would disobey God, do you remember what he would call Israel? He'd call her a harlot because they had worshipped after other gods. And so Israel is the mother giving birth to Jesus. So next we're going to see how Satan has always attempted to destroy the woman as well as the child that she's giving birth to. So verses 3 and 4 say, Now another sign appeared in heaven, and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and they threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. Well, very little confusion here. The dragon is a serpent. He is Satan. The red represents blood or death, and this is what Satan desires for the woman as well as her child. So the dragon represents that evil description all the way back to Genesis again, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Uh, if you go to basically where we were with Joseph and Pharaoh, uh, when Moses came and was dealing with Pharaoh, he called Pharaoh the water monster in the Nile, and he described him very depictively. And so we look and we see that John now sees this vision of a dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems on its head. Now, obviously this is not a real beast. This is a vision, again, that, that John is being given. But obviously it represents Satan and it's the epitome of his evil. After Satan's fall, for whatever reason God only knows, he allowed Satan to rule over this earth. God, uh, Satan is the ruler of the earth and Satan still has the ability to go before God and, and to make accusations. We see that in the book of Job and we'll get more into that uh, next week. But he has seven heads with crowns 
Well, that describes rulers or powers. And throughout history, there have been, have been six and will be seven uh, major nations or powers that have, have dealt with Israel. You go all the way back to Egypt, where they were in slavery. You take the next to Assyria, where they were captured. A number of them were captured and taken into captivity. The next was Babylon, where the other group uh, left, uh, were taken into captivity. The Medo-Persians, who basically just adopted the, capt- the captives from uh, Babylon and kept them captive until they finally you know, released some of them to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. And then the, the power of Greece uh, became a, a, a basically a world power that uh, dealt uh, against the Israelites. And then Rome, and we know the full story of Rome and how they you know, dealt with them. And so that's six. Well, there's going to be a seventh. His name is Antichrist, the, the beast. And so we can also look at these seven as a new Roman uh, empire that will develop during the tribulation. But I kind of lean towards the other because there definitely have been six and will be a seventh empire over Israel or the Israelites, uh, the people of Jews. And then we look and we see the ten horns. Well, we don't know what's going to happen during that time of tribulation, but many believe that the Antichrist, he starts off by making this pact of peace with world leaders. And then at that midpoint, he basically uh, says, no, I am God. He desecrates his temple, and he basically says, you all must worship me. Well, he's already made this pact with all the world leaders. How many are there? We don't know. But the picture is that there will be ten major world leaders that will be under the Antichrist's rule and reign. Um, do we know that for a fact? No. A lot of this is speculation, just assuming that these ten horns, powers, rules, uh, represent uh, those who will bow before the Antichrist and allow him to call the shots over their nations. And so we look and we see that whatever view you take, the end result is always going to be the same. They have and always will war against God's chosen people, Israel. All the way from the Egyptians to the Syrians, Babylonians, the Persians, Greeks, Romans, and then Antichrist. They have always warred against God's chosen people. So another way of looking at Satan, this dragon uh, re- representing Satan, is that it says here that uh, he, uh, his tail swept a third of the stars in the heavens and threw them to the earth. We know from other scriptures that Satan's fall was that God cast him out of heaven and with him a third of the angels that must have also been following Satan's lead were cast out as well. So Satan's rebellion against God caused a third of the stars, angels, to be cast out of heaven. So there again is another depiction that this represents Satan. So we look and we see that uh, Satan's primary desire has been and always will be to find some way to stop God's plan from taking place. Okay? Let's see how he did that. Go back to Genesis. We see he began in the Garden of Eden when he led Adam and Eve to sin against God. 
That was his first attempt to, to thwart God's plan. Well, he was successful there. Uh, we see again, he led Cain to kill his righteous brother Abel. Uh, Abel was God-fearer. He obeyed God by offering a blood sacrifice. Cain did not. And so he got rid of the righteous one. And then we see that continued as Pharaoh uh, desired, the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, desired to have all the male children in Egypt put to death. Well, if there's no more male children, then sooner or later the Jewish population would end. And it just so happened that uh, one man named Moses escaped that. And we know the final story there. God preserved the nation of uh, Israel by helping them to escape slavery and captivity from uh, Egypt. And then he used King Saul to try to kill David because David was the throne that Jesus would inherit. He inherited King David's throne. So if he could have killed David before David had any, any children, then that would have been the end of the messianic line. He continued by trying to use Haman in Babylon to try to kill off all the Jews that were in captivity there. He continued by using Herod to order all the male children under three years old uh, in, in and around Bethlehem to be killed. Uh, continued when Satan attempted to tempt G Jesus, trying to make him fail at his earthly ministry, uh, encouraging him to bow down and, to him and, and receive all the nations of the world instead of going to the cross and fulfilling his purpose. He did this by using Judas to sell out Jesus, thinking that when Jesus died on the cross that Satan had become victorious. But even after Jesus' earthly ministry was complete, Satan has continued to lead forces against this group, the chosen ones of God, the Jewish people. From Hitler to Stalin, the now growing anti-Semitic uh, wave around the world, Israel is a very tiny nation completely surrounded by its enemies. Y'all have this little map. Y'all see this little bitty, little bitty, little bitty red area right here? That's Israel. Do you see all this yellow around them? That's the Arabic and Muslim world that hates them and wants to destroy them. Can you say that Israel's existence is a miracle of God. Can you explain it any other way? Okay. So basically what I, I wanted to do is let you see that, to see that only God has been able to protect his people because of his promise all the way back to Abraham, from out of you will come a great nation, and they will be my people. And God has never taken that promise back. So we look and we see that here in Revelation... No, no, no. But that is the sad part. But even in their lostness, God is still protecting them as a nation. Not as individuals, but as a nation. It is sad. But not as individuals, but as a nation, God has continued to protect them. Unbelievable. Well, even in Revelation, we've already seen that uh, before any of the catastro major catastrophes happen, God said, wait, 
you cannot do what you're about to do until I have sealed the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Why would God do that? Why would that be such an important part of what we see in Revelation? God is protecting his nation, Israel. And we may not understand it. I don't. Uh, but God keeps his promises. That's, that's the bottom line. If he, God keeps his promises from Abraham on, then even in this time of tribulation, the end of time, God will continue to, to keep his promise. Now, it says that the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that the child was born, he could devour her child. Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy Jesus either before he was born, as he was born, or before he can complete, complete his mission. Well, Jesus has already completed his mission. He is now uh, taken up into heaven. So that's what it says, that, uh, the very last part of verse 5, and her child was called up to God and to his throne. So Jesus has fulfilled his earthly ministry and mission. So now he's trying to break God's ultimate promise of his people Israel. So now we look at verse 5 and look at the child. And she gave birth to a child, a male child, who is, the rule, is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. There's really no doubt that this is Jesus. This child is Jesus. The one who will reign all the nations with a rod of iron. When Jesus came for his first uh, appearing on earth, he did not rule with an iron fist or a, a rod of iron. He ruled by love. He ruled with compassion. He ruled with grace and mercy. He ruled with a gift of salvation and eternal life. But when he comes again, there's no opportunity for that anymore. And so he will come to rule and to reign and to judge those who remain. So there's no, no way for us to figure any other but Jesus. Uh, this really just simply depicts his second coming where he will come as a judge and to reign. So it says that Jesus was called up to God and to his throne. Well, okay, Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived some 30 years, then began his earthly ministry, ministered on earth some three, three and a half years. Then he was he purposely went to Jerusalem knowing that he would be crucified, pretty much forced the issue for them to arrest him and to flog him and to crucify him at the time of Passover. And so Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was laid in a tomb, and on the third day he arose. Then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. That's what this is talking about. And her child was called up to God and to his throne. Jesus returned to, his, to fulfill his earthly ministry, and also he returned to heaven uh, to regain his rightful place beside the Father. So there's no doubt as to who this is. Okay, then verse 6 tells us something, and we have to kind of look to see what, the, what it really means. Then the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So who are these people? Who are these people that represent Israel? And why does God protect them? Why does God send them out into a wilderness? Well, again, he has promised to have a remnant of his people. 
Now, we're looking, I believe, at probably the 144,000 that God had sealed, that they cannot be uh, brought to a martyr's death. That's my personal opinion. I believe that God has prepared them to be his remnant of his nation of Israel. So he has prepared a place for them to flee. Now, where is that place? Well, he just calls it into the wilderness. Wilderness can mean anything. But he also says that he has prepared a place by God where they will be nourished. Well, nourished means that they're fed, their needs are met. Well, do you remember what happened to the Israelites for 40 years out in the wilderness? God provided for them. God nourished them with manna and even with quail and water. All their needs were met. Even the soles of their sandals never wore out over 40 years. Can you imagine that? God provided. Well, whatever the scene is here, God is protecting a remnant of his people Israel. I personally believe it's 144,000. I may be totally wrong there. It may be those who have come to uh, be a to faith in the Lord during the first half of the tribulation and God's pre, uh, protecting them in some form. I honestly don't know, but it, it has to be the Jewish people, I believe. So I believe it's the sealed, personally. There's no way for me to say that with assurance because it just does not say who these are. But what it does say is that God will provide, nourish them for three and a half years. 1,260 days is the Jewish equivalent of three and a half years. And so what we see is that God is preparing. God already has all this worked out. He knows exactly how it's going to happen. God is in control. And uh, we look and we may not understand why God is continuing to provide and bless and protect uh, the nation of Israel after they have so often disobeyed him and rejected his Messiah. God knows the answer to that. I think it's because he simply made a promise to Abraham and he's kept his promise and is still keeping his promise. So in these six verses, we have dealt basically with the fall of Satan from heaven, which happened beginning of time, to the promise of God to the ancient Israelites, which happened through Abraham, to the ascension of Christ after he completed his earthly ministry, to the protection of God's people, Israel, during the tribulation, the great tribulation. So we've covered from Genesis to Revelation all in six verses. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful for this day. Thank you for these ladies and Lord, their testimony for you and Lord, how you have used them in their each and individual uh, hearts of ministry to, to reach out with the love of Christ. And Lord, may we never stop doing that, no matter how old or what our situation may be. Lord, may we first begin with our, our time of prayer with you, praying specifically for the power of your spirit to fall upon us individually, and then to use us and to help us to share your love with others. Lord, we pray for your spirit to, to draw many people to your gift of salvation and eternal life. But we know we cannot do it. We can just simply be instruments using the spiritual talents and gifts that you've given us. And may we be found faithful in doing that. Well, I pray for these young people that you have brought into my life recently that have been so, given such a powerful testimony of what God's doing in their lives. And well, I pray for them. I pray that you'll continue to use them in a unique and powerful way.
Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for the city and county. We pray for, uh, Lord, your, your hand to touch them in a unique way. And Lord, help them to realize their sinfulness and their need for you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, guide us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.